Well, it's another year, Devin, and we now are seeing more and more anti-Semitism than ever before. Uh, some shocking stuff that's coming out. Uh, you're, I mean, I, I will say, you know, I always find it a little bit troublesome when my own people, including you, Devin, um, you know, are dating uh, people like uh, Claudine Gay, the Harvard president, the former Harvard. <laughs> you know, it's awkward. I know this is difficult for you to talk about, but the fact is, I think she did the wrong thing. And and look, you're manning up and admitting that you know this is really causing a lot of strife in your relationship. I suppose also the lesbian part of her it might also cause some strife, but <laughs> but I digress. The the point is that I mean, this is a, a great thing that she was fired. She resigned, but she was invited to resign, shall we say. Yeah. And she writes this article in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, one of the two. And the article, I, mean, I could read the whole thing, but it, it basically blames everyone for her being pushed out. And that it's, it's, a, it's a violation of free speech. It's, she's just so very shocked that she can't say her anti-Semitic rants. It's not free speech, lady. This is not about free speech. This is about what you actually said, not your opinion one way or the other. It's the, the fact that you, st you stand antithetical to all of Harvard's supposed values when you're talking about Harvard's supposed values, and that being that the policy, the, the, the anti-hate speech policies have been violated by these students who claim that Jews should be genocided, right? I mean, and you can't acknowledge that. So, so there's something, you, you're creating a great friction between Harvard on the one hand and the, the appearance of Harvard at least and the rest of the world. So this is not about you. It's about Harvard. You understand that, right? I mean, if you, if you, Devin, we work together. And if you went out there, started talking about how you, forget about Israel for a second, forget about Jews for a second. And just go out there and you say how you love abortion, yeah. right? And you say, you know, babies should be able to be killed. In fact, I, I think every baby should be killed because there's too much population, you know, you might say. And, and you're entitled to say that. And, and you say that to every of uh, my clients. And eventually I would say, you know, I think maybe we shouldn't work together again, <laughs> right? That's what I would say because you're creating a, a friction with my clients, um, many of whom are conservative. Right? So, or for that matter, if you went on, online and said all these things, okay, so you get the idea. But this Claudine Gay woman, she seems to think that somehow it's all about her and her rights one way or the other. And, and this is a, 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 a very uh, sad and foreboding moment in history where it, it, uh, it's the beginning of the end of free speech. That, that's, that's the way she views herself. Never mind that they've been engaged in that canceling culture for quite a while now, quite a few years. If you're a Jew, forget about it. I mean, if you're a Jew, you can't get into Harvard. And, and they, they go on this warpath now to reduce the admissions uh, percentage. I don't know. It used to be like 25% until recently. Now it's down to 5%. I think there's rumor to the effect that, and again, it's just rumor, but to the effect that they wanted to reduce it down to 1% or 2%. Why? Because that reflects uh, more or less the, the percentage of Jews in America as it is. So therefore, it's okay. Of course, never, never mind the fact that blacks are about 11 or 12% of the population. 
and they're they're well way way beyond represented at Harvard. Right. But it's 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 appropriate to do that to Jews, but not to blacks, right? right? If you really want to do that, uh, if you really want to play the percentage game that's reflective of society at large, great. Well then, okay. Well then, it should be about seventy five percent whites. It should be you know what twelve percent blacks, twenty percent. Uh, I mean, whatever the addition is, right? And then the 2% Jews that they're talking about. But it's, it's, it shouldn't be about that. That's quota system. It should be about merit. And let's let the chips fall where they may. But I don't want to get into affirmative action. The point is that this is, this is the new world that we're talking about. I want to talk about something that fascinates me, and, and it kind of stemmed from my book, um, the, uh, Keeping the Kids All Right, how to keep your kids away from the woke culture and making sure that they always remain conservative, right? That's the gist of the book. It's doing very well, by the way. I mean, I'm, I'm always ple- I'm always so shocked when my books do well. <laughs> really, I, I got to tell you, awesome. like, what? Why? Wait, it's doing well. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> uh, but the reason, I, I think part of the reason why is I tell stories and I tell, I, I tell anecdotes and and, and I and I, it's very well researched. But it's also some, I present ideas that I think a lot of people haven't heard before. And one of them is this, first in wins. Okay, remember that phrase, first in wins. That's a Brock Lurie phrase. Okay, I, I haven't heard it from anybody else. Uh, I've heard it in first in, first out. <laughs> like, that's an accounting system. <laughs> uh, FIFO. <laughs> but first in wins, the concept is that Whatever idea comes into your head about a particular issue, whether that's abortion or minimum wage or uh, conservatism, generally speaking, liberalism, generally speaking, that will take hold in your brain and it's very hard to flip it. Okay. So, and that's why I commend people so much who do change. I mean, like, like you and I both were once liberal. That's very hard. I mean, I'm really impressed with us. (laughs) I got to tell you. Uh, because most liberals, they stay liberal. They, they, they were rarely once upon a time a conservative um, and then became staunchly liberal. Now, somebody's yelling at the, the thing, I, I did, I did. Okay, it's kind of different because a lot of the conservatives who become liberal, and there are very few of them, uh, it's more of a, you know, a team association. I, you know, like, I like the Patriots. And then, uh, you know, maybe if Tom Brady leaves, well, then I, I don't like the Patriots anymore. I went, it's more of a team orientation as opposed to the actual um, power of the ideas in issue. So I think that that's, that is what we're looking at. And if they actually were conservative, meaning that they actually understood how the economy works, how big government is not a good thing, how God should be the center of any civilization for it to actually work, uh, that there can be no freedom, uh, no free will, no consciousness without God, and all those things, they, they just simply can't be. When you, when you understand that, that's part of your DNA, it's almost impossible to become a liberal. I, I, I think it is impossible, but there it is. So first in wins, though. It's very hard. So once you're, and, and, and I make the analogy in the book, that it's kind of like clay, right? When you get, when you're a little kid, you remember you, you got a bunch of clay to yeah. play with, right? And it's nice and soft, and you can make whatever you want with it, Right. And then over time, not too much time, by the way, it's like even an hour, it starts getting harder, right? Right. And you've just got to put a little bit more muscle into it to change what you want to look at. And after a while, it's become so hard that you really can't change it at all. So it is with your brain. 
uh, you get an idea, the neurons start connecting, and it's very hard to undo. Now, in the case of the clay, you, you just pour a lot more water on it and, and work on it softening and softening it, and then you can start playing with it again. But that takes a willingness to put the water in, onto the clay of your mind and, uh, and then make a, make a change that way. Uh, most people don't have that willingness. And then, of course, God forbid you get the glaze. <laughs> Once, if, you, if, you, if your clay is glazed, right, then, then you can never change it after that. Right. So think of, it, think of all the little things in your life, the things that you appreciate. And, and, I, and I self-doubt all the time. I'm, I'm very pro-Israel, but I, I often think to myself, well, is that because I grew up in a pro-Israel family? I, we are Israeli, after all. Yeah. Um, and maybe I'm just seeing things in a distorted way. Maybe I should just look at what the other side has to say. And maybe, I, and of course I do look at it, but, and they have all their facts wrong. I mean, at some point there's an objectivity. There is a history that actually happened. We know it, it's well documented. Uh, the, the stories that the Arabs tell about the great Nakba, which is the, 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 the great catastrophes, it's what it translates to, uh, just is simply not true. The, uh, the, the claim is that the Israelis pushed out all the Arabs uh, and that's, that's not true. They, the Arabs pushed out the Arabs. They told them, they ordered them to leave because they wanted to go obliterate the Israelis. Right. And in the process, to do so, they didn't want to kill their fellow Arabs, so, so get, get out, they right. said. Anyway, uh, and, and time and time again, there's all these issues. Okay. Uh, so I want to talk about such a great example. This is a man named Roger Waters. Okay. <laughs> Now, you're laughing, but he is a great example of first-in wins. Now, if you know anything about Roger Waters, he's a, he was a former uh, founder of, of Pink Floyd. Uh, you know, music was fantastic. Uh, it was one of my favorite bands. Now I don't listen to them anymore, um, except for the song Time, which I, I just, it's just such a beautiful song. And it was written at a time when he wasn't crazy. But nevertheless... Um, he always had a love. He always took the side against Israel. And, and why is that? Well, it turns out when he was backpacking before he became a famous singer and, and, and musician, he was back, backpacking in the Middle East, in Lebanon in particular, and he stumbled upon this family. And it was a very modest family, and they took him in, and please stay with us, stay with us. And he, they, they gave him food, and he discovered in the process that this was the mother's food, and she was just giving him the food because she was being a, a good host. That's what they, they do. And they, they seem so nice, you know. And in the process, uh, they probably talked to him about Israel and how Israel has been really a very challenging country to them. Never mind that, you know, it's, <laughs> they, they want to destroy Israel. But that's a that's different story altogether. Israel doesn't want to destroy Lebanon. It just wants to live in peace. Right. Uh, but, but, you know, that's a 17-year-old. And he associated the Arab cause with this very nice family, this one family that, that treated him well. And I, and I understand that. I, you know, I, I love Christians. Um, but I, I think I've a very big sampling of great Christians who have been wonderful to Jews. And by the way, it wasn't always that way. Um, I had a very hostile relationship with Christians once upon a time because I, I now realize mistakenly uh, equated them with anti-Semitics, and they weren't. There were anti-Semitics in my school who happened to be in Christian families, but didn't 
they, they weren't really Christian. Right. And, and I, but, but more poignantly, I, in the Mormon church, and I know this is going to maybe piss off some of our Christian friends here, but I, I'm very strongly in support of, of Mormons. I, I, I love all you Christians. They're, I, they're really great, right? And I know there's a difference in theology. I get it. I, I don't want to quibble about that. I, I only care what they do. Are they good people? Do they advance culture? Do they advance society? Do they believe in God? Do they believe in America? And they do. And I, I happened to meet uh, a very good friend of mine at Stanford. And he and his uh, later wife, you know, who, who was also at Stanford, uh, they were such incredible people. And they were so out, upstanding and so kind and so thoughtful. I have such a great impression of Mormons. So... Maybe I could be dissuaded about that, okay? But I, I don't really have a dog in the fight necessarily, but almost every Mormon I've met, I've, I've enjoyed talking to. Okay. Uh, so there's an example of first in wins. Okay, but if somebody came to me first and said, these Mormons, let me tell you how wackadoodle they are, and here's why, and here's, here's an evil Mormon somehow. Maybe I would have a different impression. I don't know. I don't think so, because I, I tend to ask a lot of questions. But most people don't ask questions. Right. And Roger Waters certainly didn't. So here's an example of somebody who got locked in. First in wins. He became convinced that Israel was a horrific nation, an apartheid nation, no less, and has gone all the way with it. He couldn't, I mean, you, you look at him, he's got blue eyes, he's as white as can be, he's got blondish hair. And uh, nothing to do with the Arabs, but he is taking on their cause like nobody's business. He, he's one of the most destructive anti-Israel forces out there. And he sounds insane. He is insane. But listen to his words. I, 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 you, you, we'll just kind of take it bit by bit. But I want you to hear the voice of somebody first in winning, right? Okay, hold on. I can tell you that it breaks my fucking heart. And I'm so glad that um, Human Rights Watch has now followed the lead of Betzalem, the human rights organization, the Israeli human rights organization, that a number of months ago declared that Israel is an apartheid state. Okay, so just to pause that for a second, he, he looks really crazy. This is, a, this is a post that he himself is doing, the, the camera shaking because he's obviously holding his phone to it and he just is kind of ranting, right? And to his credit, in the end, he says, uh, thanks for this rant, but we'll get to that. <laughs> uh, but he's talking about an apartheid state. Well, first of all, he, you notice how he's talking about an Israeli humane society thing. That's because Israel is a democracy, all right? None of the Arab countries that surround Israel is a democracy, okay? They are unified in their hate of Israel. This is a country, all the other countries want Israel gone, gone, gone. Uh, that's what would make them happy. Israel just wants to live in peace, peace, peace. That's it, Okay. That should tell you something. Those are facts on the ground. But that's not good enough. The reason why they want, that they're so hostile to Israel, because we, we talked about this before, it's about hostility toward accountability. It's hostility to God uh, himself. That's the reason why. There's no evidence. Evidence. Apartheid. To, to actually say that is obscene. Israel is the most diverse country you'll ever meet. More so than America. And you've got Arabs and all sorts of other minorities. And every he doesn't list a, a single instance of some sort of uh, policy where you people have to drink from this water fountain, or 
are, are precluded from these kind of careers or anything. There's, there's no example of that. He can't bring up a single example, but he knows that the word apartheid is a very triggering phrase, and to call Israel an apartheid state, well, then, then it's great. Uh, never mind, by the way, that none of the young people actually know, know what apartheid is. They, they, you know, they were fighting it for it very viciously, very aggressively in the 1980s. They understood it back then because uh, it was so simple. But now apartheid, what, what is it? They don't know. And this is a great example, just to go back to what you're saying, first in wins. What is apartheid? Israel. Yeah, that's right. It's an apartheid state. It, it, like, but, but you just confront them and just say, what? What, what, do you, what does it mean? And then they're embarrassed about that, but they're just echoing things. Uh, so let's continue on, and then I want to kind of have a theory about why it's so hard to talk to, to these people. Okay. Israel is an apartheid state. Hey, guys, you remember that? We're not going to play in Sun City. I thought we had something against apartheid. Okay, so he says, remember, we're not going to play in Sun City. I know that phrase because I'm old enough to remember that. And you're shaking your head. You don't know it. No. Okay. And the reason I'm why. Old. Yeah, you're, you're, yeah. You're, you're what, 45? Uh, no, I'm almost 50. Yeah. Almost 50. I'm okay. Yeah. So you don't know this. But we're not complaining. Sun City was a reference to, I think, a Bob Geldof or some other guys oh. like that who were saying we're not going to play in South Africa as uh, musicians or in uh, sports because they were um, – uh, not they didn't want to support apartheid, which was the division of blacks and whites in South Africa. Uh, literally, they they would drink from their own water fountains, just like uh, America in the um, in the forties and fifties. Yeah. So, um, which was of course contemptible, uh, blah blah blah. Democrat, but <laughs> that's right, Democrats. Yeah. But that's the idea. We're not, gonna, and he's asking us, we're not going to play in Sun City. Like, who are you talking to? You're talking to. I, I understand it. And people older than me understand it, but I don't think anyone who's listening to this, who is younger than 50, understands this. Yeah. It's hysterical. Yeah, and I'll say just one real quick thing, just to my thoughts about Roger Waters is like, not saying he is, but one, like a description of borderline personality disorder is you have very big, strong words to say about there. Somebody's horrible and a monster and somebody's great. And you have absolutely no ability to back anything up with any evidence. Just throwing that out there. I'm not talking about him. <laughs> well, it's, it's, I mean, but, that, but that's the ignorance of people. Now, he yeah. should know better. He's, he's actually, in, in, he's like 80 years old. I don't think he has dementia. No. Uh, he's been at this game of uh, anti-Israelism for at least uh, 40 years, uh, maybe even more. But uh, now he's really, really hostile to Israel. So uh, the, the guy should know better. He, he actually visited Israel. He, he actually knows what Israel looks like. He knows the size of Israel. So, and yet still says it. So what's up with that, yeah. right? Anyway, let's continue on. We certainly did when it was South Africa. Well, why haven't we got something against it now that it's Israel? That's what I want to know. I'm starting a campaign to try and persuade FIFA and UEFA to stop playing soccer against them. That will focus the attention. I know it would. It certainly did to the South Africans who suddenly went, oh, my God, they won't play rugby or cricket with us. We must be doing something. Yeah, you were. You were committing the international crime of apartheid. Okay, so the problem with he's making in this argument is he's equating South Africa with Israel. Yeah. And, and that's, where the, that's where it falls apart because they're not the same. 
And they can never uh, establish that, that it's a part, but they, they will echo it. And the Arabs do this very well. They, they will say these words. They knew it very well. Look, I, I was in college during the uh, apartheid, anti-apartheid movement, which I, I felt was a very disingenuous movement. I, I, I really, I, of course, I hate apartheid. Uh, it was evil in every respect. But the, everyone got themselves tied up in a knot because they had a cause now. And it wasn't really... It, it, it wasn't a, a serious cause. I'm, I'm telling you, they, a lot of phonies out there. But putting that aside, it was true that South Africa was a very evil enterprise. Apartheid itself is an evil enterprise. And I'm glad that's, that it's done. Okay? Great. But uh, there's no equivalence. You just can't make that equivalence. Uh, but, but they know that throwing out this word, and, and I, I knew back then that one day they, were, they saw how effective the fight against apartheid was that if they could somehow claim that Israel is an apartheid state, then they would put Israel on its heels and have to say, no, no, we're not. You know, but, but again, first in wins. I think part of also the reason why people don't change their minds on these very powerful issues um, is that they, they don't want to learn for one thing. They don't want to delve into the issues. But somebody has told them, somebody that they respect has told them to think a certain way. And what they will say to you in response to your facts is, well, I don't know, I, you know, some very smart people think differently. If, if my professor were here, he would, you know, I think he would disagree with you. So they, they don't want to let go of that association that, you know, the professor with uh, the elbow, pad, you know, elbow pads and the, the pipe in his mouth, you know, the, the classic look. Um, and they don't, they don't know what to do with that. Um, they, they, they are hard to, they, they're reluctant to reject their professor or that the very important friend of theirs that they've associated with. That they, maybe a boyfriend, maybe a girlfriend. Uh, that, that's what you're asking them to do. You're asking them to disassociate them themselves from their associations. That's a powerful thing. And my question is like, because he didn't even, you know, like, um, what is a qualify his statements is, do you really think he's actually anti-Israel, which I don't think he particularly is, or do you think he's just an anti-Semite? England has a long history of anti-Semitism. And usually when you have these guys who are really, really against Israel, when you let them talk, it just is anti-Semitism. <laughs> Yeah, I'd like to see him drunk at some point, but I, <laughs> yeah. he might as well be drunk yeah, right now. I mean, yeah. he looks drunk. I, I don't think he is, but uh, I don't know that we'd get much more out of him, like the in vino veritas uh, situation out of him. Let's, here's another interview that he did, and I just I thought it was worthwhile listening to uh, what he has to say about this, because it, it's very reflective of the, the mind of somebody who, who has been molded. Here we go. It's not a drill. It's trying to din this into everybody who comes to any one of my shows to say, this is not a drill. This is it. This is the attack. We are now under the attack of, you were talking about Modi earlier, attacking you personally. And, you know, I'm under attack from Rishi Sunak. The whole world is under attack from Joe Biden and Anthony Blinken and Victoria Newland and Jake Sutherland or whatever his fucking name is, and that whole neoliberal team, because they are destroying the world. Okay, well, <laughs> I do agree that there, those people he's mentioning are destroying the world, but he's upset with them, and he's, this man is crazy. He, he's obviously a lefty, yeah. Roger Waters, and now he's upset with Joe Biden. He thinks that he's destroying the world. I, I, okay, <laughs> we do, we, we, I guess he wouldn't get 
Roger Waters vote if, if Roger Waters were an American, which is fine by me, yeah. but for the wrong reasons. Uh, he, I, I, I guess he wants Joe Biden and America to be much more aggressive against Israel. Um, and I, I think that Joe Biden is doing enough damage to Israel by not being fully supportive and trying to put, um, what's the word, a weights on, on, the, on the backs of uh, the Israeli soldiers and for that matter, the government of Israel. So that's their problem uh, that I have with the Biden and his team. But it's very interesting to see how much he hates the Biden team as well. God knows. I mean, he had enough hate for Trump, no doubt about that. But he, he's not missing any words when it comes to Joe Biden. The man's crazy. Yeah. I mean, at, at the end of the day, he's crazy. Look, uh, how do you argue, uh, you know, no, knowing this idea of first in wins, how do you argue with people about this? What, what is the battle? There is no battle. That's the problem. Th these people are lost. You will not get Roger Waters to convert. It's too hard. It's, you need too much water over his clay. Okay? And in this case, he's been glazed. Okay? I think it's a perfect metaphor. 100%. There, there are some people that you can pour enough water that eventually they will soften. You can, they can reshape themselves you know, internally, but they have to want it, of course. Um, this guy's glazed. He's 80 years old. Old dog, new tricks. It's not going to happen. Where's the, the real battleground is not with people who you're yelling about and have, you know, as on the other side of the, of the, of the rally, you know, the pro-Israel rally, the anti-Israel rally. No, no. The real battleground are the, 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 the people who don't have an opinion yet. We have to get to them. We have to be the first in to them. We have to make them excited about Israel. Show them uh, that what they do, what Israel does, is, is that it's a force for good. And if, you, if we do that, then we win. It's, it's kind of like the way, I mean, we, we understand that when it comes to American politics. I assume the same thing with uh, other democracies as well. We know that 40% of the country votes Democrat, 40% votes Republican. The real battle is the in-between, the 20% that, you know, sway or don't have an opinion. We, we need to, we, that, those are the guys we need to, to get. The base, yes, it's important, but in terms of, of uh, helping out with, I mean, sorry, making the fight, uh, yeah, that, that's gotta be, it's gotta be the independents. It's gotta be the people that have not yet locked in their positions, right. who do not, there is no first in wins yet, okay? So let's be the first in to these people, don't you think? I agree 100%. And just to say, the, the people we're really fighting are the ones who call MAGA and Trump supporters Nazi. And then the next day or the same day, they march and say, from the river to the sea. They're anti-Semites who want to call their enemies Nazis. That, that absurdity, it is not that hard of a battle. To, and the main thing that we really need to teach is some kind of critical thinking. Man, you are so right. Look, I, I mean, it would be nice to teach critical thinking. Yeah. It would. Um, but I, I don't think people think this way. I think they, they need to, most people will simply say, what side do you want me to take? Right? I mean, look, I'm guilty of this too. I, I, I invest money with a financial advi advisor, right? You know, he tells me he's, he's been very successful with me in the past. I really like him. Um, and he says, Barack, I really suggests we move out of X and we put more into Y. Okay. 
All right, Bill, go ahead, go for it. Um, and that's it. I don't, I don't need to delve deeply into the issues. The same, unfortunately, is true when it comes to politics. People don't really educate themselves. But you need to give them the basic parameters to understand why Israel is good. Ask them, you know, make them understand how small Israel is, how, what, what the fight is, that it's the only democracy. You, you, I think we have the winning argument. I, that's the good news is that as long as we get to the people as to, you know, that, that classic person, any, anybody that says, you know, I really don't know anything about that region. Can you help me understand? That's the guy that you want. Right. That's the way we win. Yeah. All these other people are lost. There, there are all sorts of things that you're fighting you don't even think you're, you don't even know that you're fighting. You're, you're fighting all these associations with their professors, with their buddies, with their boyfriends and girlfriends. Um, there's, there's a whole bunch of ignorance there as well. You will not convert them. You just can't do it. it not the shouting game or anything else. It's just not going to work. Uh, and, and so people I, I've respected who I know are deeply intelligent. They're very intelligent. And they're telling me these the, these things that I, I know are just utterly false, and I just have to get rid of them. I mean, I, I know this. I, I know this so well, but because I'm an expert in the Middle Eastern affairs, uh, I know my country, Israel, very well. I know America really well. But you're dealing with people who don't even know that America, you know, declared independence in 1776. Let alone from England. Let alone anything about the Civil War. Let alone anything about World War II. What what that was about. They don't know anything about what capitalism actually is. They, they, they love communism because some guy blurbed it and, and said so. And they want to feel like they're on the right team. That's what you're fighting. So get in there, first in wins, uh, and, and especially do that with your kids. That, that's key. That's, that's the whole point of my book is to get in there early, make sure you control the narrative because somebody else is out there wanting to control the narrative that's exactly the opposite of what you believe. So make that happen. That's your responsibility as a parent. As I often say, and I even say in the book, is this indoctrination? Because people will accuse me of, of you know, encouraging indoctrination of kids. Right. And I respond to them, yeah, and you better get to it. Right. You know, so whenever I say that, by the way, in, in my speeches, when I uh, make that speech in front of crowds, everyone laughs about that. They, they love it. And, and, and I know that I'm hitting a, a good nerve because they realize, yeah, th that is my job as a parent, to indoctrinate into the good things. Yeah. Indoctrine simply means you, you, you're giving them doctrine. Right. And that's not always a bad thing, no. right? To teach them about the goodness of America, that's a good thing. To teach them about uh, right and wrong and to teach them about honesty, that's indoctrination too, right? right? But teaching them to, uh, to hate Jews, that's, that's a bad kind of, a very bad kind of indoctrination, right? Yeah. So, and they, they don't see themselves in history or anything else like that. So again, go to the to the, those who have not yet established themselves um, and don't know anything better. Okay, I want to move on to uh, related and, and different topics as well. But one of them is uh, this, I mean, we, Claudine Gay thing we've already talked about, but it's, I think it's really, very, very interesting. Uh, we've also got uh, the story about, you know, what's happening at the border with Texas. Uh, Texas just they passed a law recently that uh, they're allowed to uh, arrest people who are crossing the border. Okay, I, I think that's good. Uh, and the, the DOJ, which has been doing nothing, and the federal government, which has been doing nothing to stop the, 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 the flow of, of illegal immigrants, uh, is, actually, <laughs> is actually now suing Texas 
from the, I would think that they would be thrilled that Texas is doing this. Right. Right. So that that's less in, in terms of federal dollars having to do this. But no, they, they want to make sure that Texas itself doesn't do anything either. Right. That's all it is. We want you to let the drugs and the sex trafficking come in. We want you to um, bring in all sorts of illegals who do not belong in this country, who might commit a lot of crime, uh, and who have who are you know let's let's be frank about it, draining our our financial resources. We can't we can't you know who, who's paying for that? Obviously, right? But so this is a, a confrontation, and I'm I'm wondering how the Supreme Court is going to handle this. Because on the one hand, I get it, the federal government is responsible for the security of the country. But on the other hand, Texas should be able to say, look, we're, gonna, we're allowed to arrest people who are illegal, you know, coming in here illegally. Right. And I don't think that is uh, a federal crime. I don't, I, I don't think that violates federal law. So. Right. And, and that's the thing where basically they're, they're saying we'd, we also don't want you to have the immigrants leave Texas. They have to stay in Texas. You have to have the liabilities of feeding them, closing them, housing them. Yeah, and so they're trying to force them to like, just be in Texas. That can't be legal. That, and Merrick Garland, I did not think there would be a head of Department of Justice that was absolutely so corrupt and so dishonest and so incredibly wicked to the United States. He must hate our country and all the people in it. Yeah, yeah he does. Uh, I mean, I, I, look, I, I think it's such a desperate play. It, you know, I don't think you need to be too cynical to understand that when you're allowing millions of people at some point, it, it's, it's like, you know, this isn't about bear hunting, is yes. it? You know, it's, it's, yeah. that's what it is. Uh, for those of you who don't know the joke, ask one of your friends to tell you that this isn't about bear hunting, and you, you'll you'll see. It's it's a very funny joke, but at some point, the reality is that they they want these millions and millions. It, it, when you say, "What what are we to do about it?" First of all, they 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 pretend that there's nothing happening at the border; that it's more secure than ever. Uh, okay, but the millions are streaming across, so they obviously want that to happen. And what they could be doing instead is, yeah, we know, but what are we to do? What are we to do? Yeah. Well, maybe go back to the Trump policies, please. Yeah. Uh, that seemed to be working. And that, that was a fairly easy solution. Right. But they don't do that. They, they want this to happen. So, uh, And again, you don't have to be too cynical to believe that. It, it's, it's obvious. They want it because they, their perception is that there's going to be more government services and there's more desperate need for government services. And that justifies that. That's one thing. I, I think the more obvious reason is that um, they think that they're going to have more Democrat votes as a result of this. They'll be so thankful that Biden let them in. Um, but I, I think even a greater reason for that, and this is really cynical. I, I think that Biden is in a minor collusion with the cartels. And, and the reason, before you say, whoa, that sounds crazy, Barack. That sounds really conspiratorial. Okay, it's not because we know that he's taking money from the Chinese. We know that he's taking money from Ukraine and from Romania. It, 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 to, to say that he's not, that's not happening is, it's, it's really silly. Oh, but only Hunter is taking it. As if somehow, you know, like they like Hunter and, and, and that there's no relationship whatsoever to Biden. We know now that, that Joe Biden himself was with 
Hunter Biden during all these meetings, despite all the lies that he had said that he was never, didn't know anything about them. And now he's at the meetings himself. He's a liar. Yeah. Biden. So he's taking money from the Chinese. There's a reason why he's so wealthy. Yeah. Okay. It's not his pension. It's not, you know, people like to say that BS. Okay. If that were the case, then every congressman, every senator would be obscenely wealthy just by virtue of being a senator. It's not true. They make a tiny amount of money. So the money's coming from China. They can't explain uh, all these LLCs that cr they create. There's no purpose to these LLCs. They're, they're using the LLCs to launder the money. Yeah. Okay. It's, look, Bob Menendez, uh, we caught him yeah. with not only Egypt, but also um, uh, United Arab Emirates, I think, or, or uh, no, uh, Qatar, I think it was. Uh, doesn't matter. Uh, the point is, is he was taking money and uh, he was very brazen about it. But, but somehow it's impossible when Joe Biden, no, he's as, he's as, you know, pure as the driven snow. There's no possibility. He's a good man. He's Amtrak Joe. Yeah. And Amtrak Joe wouldn't do that. No, no. I can tell because I know a good man when I see one. Right. Bob Menendez was a good man until he was discovered not to be a good man. Okay. But so somehow with the Democrats, they, they really, you know, they circle the wagons when it comes to the president, but no, nobody else. Everyone else is expendable, right? right? Uh, so and, Andrew Cuomo, Anthony Weiner, and, and now Bob Menendez, and, and, and a couple of others. But when they lose all power or they become so obviously toxic, then they get rid of him. Right. Well, he's, he's not demonstrative or uh, representative of the Democrat Party. Yes, he is. <laughs> yes, he very much is. I'm sure he took his cue from Biden himself. Anyway, uh, so it... it how about this? Academically, just thought experiment. If indeed we know that Biden took money from the Chinese, let's just say for the sake of discussion that he did. Okay? I think the evidence is clear, but let's just say. Yeah. Then, then it's not so preposterous to say that he took money from the cartels. Right. And by the way, there's, there's a hell of a lot of money from the cartels yes. that want him to take the money. That to me makes the most sense right. because he could really line his pockets big time. There are billions of dollars streaming across the, the border every day. Yeah. Uh, sex trafficking, uh, drug trafficking, and they're just paying him to look the other way right. and to let them through. Yeah. That's what's going on. And he literally is telling the world, what? What? A border crisis? What crisis? I don't see nothing. Yeah. Like We're the best ever, while at the same time letting in millions yeah. of, of people from all stripes and sizes, from all different countries, not just Mexico, yeah. not just Honduras and El Salvador, from, from uh, the bad guy countries like Iran and, and China and otherwise. Yeah. These, these are – why would you think – why is it so impossible for the idea that he's taking money from the cartels? Why? Okay, this man is a corrupt man, yeah. and and he's not corrupt in in one area and totally pure in other areas. Like there's there's some sort of line that he would not cross. Okay, yeah, I, yeah. of course not. Yeah. So that's that's what's going on there. Okay, um, look, I want to move on to this. Uh, speaking about uh, the polls and everything else, so th this is obviously a, a matter for which the American population is not happy with Biden and his. Uh, popularity now is down in the high 30s, I think it is, which is the lowest it's it's ever been. 
for any incumbent president going at this point, you know, prior to his uh, bid for a re-election. And that's, that's bad news for him. Very, very bad news. Um, love the love the guy. <laughs> no, I don't love him. Uh, he, he's obviously a, a a very bad man, and I think the Democrats are really running to major problems. Um, but we'll see. It's it is ten months away. That's a long time. Everyone can recognize that there could be a what do they call it uh, a black swan event. Uh, we certainly had that with the COVID uh, shutdown and everything else. Uh, that but that but then Trump was the president, and everyone lays the blame on the sitting president. He was in charge. Uh, now, I, I still think that there are many questions when it came, come, came to the 2020 election. It was bizarre. Too many anomalies, but I don't want to get into that right now. But now Biden is the president. And whatever black swan event is going to happen, it's not going to suddenly say, wow, that, well, that's fantastic. You know, Biden, you know, now I'm going to vote for him. Right. right? I, I, don't, I can't foresee a black swan event, as they call it, which means a bizarre event coming out of nowhere uh, that's usually very bad, right? right. Uh, like COVID. Uh, so, but I don't, I don't see a good black swan event. Like somehow uh, there's peace. Everyone understands each other in the Middle East. Uh, the Russians leave Ukraine. Uh, the Chinese decide to, to become a full-on democracy and, uh, you know, want to pay all sorts of reparations to America. I, no, I don't see that. It, it's like Dennis Prager says, there's no such thing as, uh, you, can, you can easily do horrific things uh, with bad influence. It's hard to, to be a good influence and to make things, you know, there's no such thing as a good bomb. Right. There's a, you know, if you plant a bomb in a building, for example, it's going to kill a lot of people. That's bad. There's no, no equivalence when it comes to a, a bomb that does good. Right. Okay. So I don't see it. I think they're going to have a really tough time. Um, now going back to polling this, uh, the new Harvard Harris poll, says that 79% of young Americans, this is about Israel now, 79% of young Americans, meaning 18 to 24, agree that white people are oppressors and people of color are the oppressed. <laughs> A similarly frightening two-thirds of young people believe that Jews are part of the oppressor class and, quote, should be treated as oppressors, unquote. Uh, no doubt that our friend uh, Roger Waters would agree with that. Uh, but it, it does explain a lot of what's going on here. Now, you made a very interesting point before we, we spoke on this, this podcast about how everything was uh, seemingly, I wouldn't say, it, it seemed like the pro-Hamas uh, rallies that, yeah. that seemed to happen so quickly. After October 7, it was like too quick. It was like prearranged somehow. It, yeah. There was so much money. There was, there was prearranged uh, signs. Everything was done so well. Um, it was in every major city, at least. It didn't kind of grow organically. It was, it was there the next day. Right. Uh, I, I don't quite understand it. Um, and, but, but all I can say is it does look like it was pre-organized. Yeah. Now, if it wasn't pre-organized ahead of time with Hamas, which you know, truly I, I would admit that is very, very uh, conspiratorial. Yes. But <laughs> uh, I, I, don't, I don't put anything past uh, anything, any, any more. I, yeah. we, we know that there were some reporters that were embedded with Hamas. I know that they were only associated with the New York Times. Maybe they weren't actually New York Times reporters, but it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty, it smells pretty bad. Yeah. Um, 
and then uh, and then George Soros, who's always interested in, in destroying civilization. That's that's his gig. That's what he does with the the law enforcement and everything else, and the judges that he he supports. So what 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 are we to say about this? What what are we to conclude about this? You know why why, why is the world so ready to hate Israel? Yeah. Right, and we've talked about this before because Israel is a is a country that stands for the Ten Commandments. Israel is a country that stands for accountability, and the world can't abide. That you could tell them till you're blue in the face. Hey, Israel's the only democracy. Israel's only you know the size of New Jersey, and the Arab countries are the size of uh, the American mainland plus Alaska. Um, you could do that all. They want to destroy Israel. Israel just wants peace. All those points that we make all the time, and they don't give a rat's ass because the the desire to not be accountable. Because that's what Israel stands for. Right. It stands for the Ten Commandments. It stands for that beacon of, of the Torah. Um, they can't abide that. Yeah. It, is, it is worth it to them to, to go against and, and support the slaughter of, what, 1,500 people in southern Israel yeah. and the hostage taking and everything else. They're willing to support that so long as they don't have to be accountable for their actions and their words. They want, a, they want a life where they're, you know, maybe they won't do it, but they want the ability to sex it up, booze it up, uh, gossip it up, uh, to be lazy, to, to not, you know, work hard, yeah. to demand government to give them money. That's, they, that's, all, that's what it's really about. Anti-Semitism has always been about that. My, my, my comment before was that the Jews are Ralph from the Lord of the Flies. That's that's who they are, and, and remember that the in, in that book, Lord of the Flies, everyone was with Ralph in the beginning, and then Jack leaves Splinter Group, and he just wants to have fun, and he wants to go primitive, and all the others eventually one by one start going with the Jack Group, and then Ralph finds himself alone until he, he's almost killed in the end, because Ralph stands for accountability, and he wants to be rescued. He, he stands for civilization. That's what it's about. Oh, it's a, it's a tension all the time, my friend. It's, it's a real big tension. Uh, hey, I wanted to talk to you about a very interesting thing. My brother, uh, his name is Rod Lurie. You may know him. He's a, I think he's a pretty well-known director. He's done many great movies, including uh, The Contender back in, I think it was the year 2000. Uh, he did my favorite of his movies is the, the Last Castle with Robert Redford. Very cool. Uh, also James Gandolfini, the late James Gandolfini. Um, a great, great film, and many other good films, including uh, The Outpost, which came out, I think, two or three years ago during the shutdown, and, and it was just a fantastic film. It's just awesome, with uh, many great stars, including Orlando Bloom and uh, Mick Jagger's son and uh, Clint Eastwood's son, who's beginning to become a, a pretty good actor in his own right. I think it's Scott Eastwood. Anyway, fantastic movie. So my brother... He wrote an article that just got printed in the Hollywood Reporter. Uh, it's about, uh, you know, encouraging Hollywood to make more pro-Israel, uh, I should say, more pro-Jewish uh, hero movies. Yeah. And he correctly points out uh, that while there's a couple of films here and there about the Holocaust, um, certainly those are valuable movies and such, but it always portrays Jews in their victim status. And he's pushing for the point, look, we need to go back to the, the days where we 
like like the movie Exodus, right, where it showed about the, the burgeoning independence of Israel. And we need to, to have that. There's so many great stories, right? There's a sto- and he brings this up. But the story of the Six-Day War is one of the most glorious uh, military victories in all of history, if, if not, you know, the 20th century. Um, it's, it's awesome, right? And he also brings up the Raid on Entebbe, which is a, a really a glorious story as well. It's a really, it's, it's such an ultimate, amazing story, and nobody's touching it because they're worried, because they, they perceive that somehow people won't see it because it's pro-Israel or pro-Jewish. And, you know, we are only 0.02% of the, the world's population. But his point is, you know what? Screw that. Do the right thing. Make a great movie. Uh, the Jews are pretty, uh, pretty awesome people. Uh, and we can, we can resonate with them. They don't have to be a people that uh, is uh, vastly represented in, in, in the world to be awesome, right? There, right. We, have, we have movies about ancient peoples that don't exist here at all anymore right, right. Yeah. i mean uh, like uh, the 300 for example that uh, great movie yeah the spartans um the spartans that they don't exist anymore yeah. there may be a, a town called sparta but it, it's not the same people yeah. right but they don't exist anymore and yet we make these movies and and we make them because they're inspiring so so what if if jews only represent such a small part the reason why they don't do it is because they're afraid of some sort of pushback uh, from whoever from the Roger Waters of the world from the from the Arab coalition, uh, from, the, from the UN, whatever. Um, and they'll take a very hostile approach. You know what? Who the F cares? Just do it. And that's what my brother is saying. I, I think he's, look, I can quibble a lot, uh, the article. You know, he's, he's a, a fairly liberal guy. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when it comes down to it, he has this incredible decency. And he has a sense of right and wrong. I, I think... I think he doesn't realize that sometimes that sense, it's, it's not innate in our biology. It's something that's learned. I think he, he's, he's, he's imbibed the, the culture of the Torah without realizing it. But that's okay. You know, the fish doesn't know that he's in water. Okay? Uh, he, 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 uh, the fish needs water desperately. But sometimes you forget that you're actually swimming in the water that actually sustains you. And I think that's, that's what it is with the Torah. The Torah is, is our water. It, it's, it's in our culture. It's in our DNA. And we mistakenly think that somehow we can separate the sense of good, right and wrong from the Torah. But again, I don't want to delve into that too much. I think his article is excellent. Again, I can quibble with a couple of points that he makes, uh, but it would only be quibbling. It's an excellent article. We need heroes. And by golly, I, I got to tell you that the, so much of what Jews have done, like the Mila 18 story, which is a story about the Warsaw Uprising. Man, that's awesome. I remember reading that as a kid, and I just, I was so excited, so proud to be a Jew. Likewise, uh, my brother uh, might be doing a, a movie uh, reflecting a story about uh, very proud Jews um, that fought against the Nazis, and they were a brigade uh, that did so. And like, yeah, let's kick some ass. I mean, it's it's awesome, right? And uh, I didn't, there was a movie like that was, it was fictional, uh, called Inglorious Bastards by Quentin uh, Tarantino, yeah, yeah. right? But again, the, the concept was there and I loved that movie. And as a Jew, listen, you know, watching that, I thought, yeah, let's kick some ass, yeah. right? Uh, but that was Mealy 18. Uh, we need more like that. And there's a lot to be proud of. Exactly. And one of the things you said was like making Jewish heroes and then people like Roger Waters, would still protest against it. Yes. 
goes with my thing. He's not protesting against Israel. Israel means nothing to the Palestinians. It means nothing to the Muslims. And it means nothing to Roger Waters. They just hate Jews. And just hating blacks, absolutely unacceptable. Just hating Chinese, absolutely unacceptable. But for some reason, anti-Semitism is okay. And people are more and more people are accepting it. And that we have to hold the line against that. Because that's when bad things really start to happen. Such a great point. That's really a very, very nicely astute point. Anyway, uh, check out this article because I, I, I think it's, uh, it's in The Hollywood Reporter. And the title is, It's Time for Hollywood to Step Up and Fight Anti-Semitism, uh, Israeli-American Outpost Filmmaker Argues. Um, that's my brother, Rod Lurie. So check it out. Uh, it just came out today, the, uh, what is it, the 4th of January. Um, anyway, very proud of him. And uh, let's, let's do that. Let's, let's make these movies um, because I, and it makes me realize, you know, there's a lot of, I want a lot of more uh, pro American movies too, for that matter. Right. I mean, same, same thing. A lot of the movies that you see that involve the military um, are what I call, you know, get the hell out of Dodge movies, meaning that they're, they found themselves in a very sticky situation and let's get the F out of here. And how do we do it? How do we retreat really well? Uh, and even even World War II movies like um, Dunkirk, that was about, it's a famous retreat, yes. uh, but nevertheless, it's about that retreat. It's not celebrating a great victory against the Germans. Yes. Um, even even um, uh, Saving Private Ryan was not about a victory. It wasn't about the victory of D-Day. It was about doing something humane, fighting against all odds to to rescue this one soldier. Okay. Yeah. Right. And and then other examples of getting the hell out of the Dodge were Lone Survivor, yeah. right? Black Hawk Down. Yeah. Uh, and now that I think about it, my brother's movie, The Outpost, exactly. right? Which all of them were about, let's get the hell, we're in a bad, bad situation. Let's get out. Yeah. Okay. And there are many other movies like that, but I'd like to see movies that really showcase a successful strategy and how we beat the bad guys. And then they surrender and all is well. Okay, that's that's what we need. Okay, both in the in the Israeli context and the American context. Context. Anyway, bravo to my brother for bringing this point up. Um, he recently went to Israel. I'm very proud of him because uh, he was doing some business in Israel um, to showcase and perhaps uh, work together on, a, on an upcoming movie. I, I'm I'm crossing my fingers that it will take. But he also got to see you know the the horrific stuff that happened in southern Israel, and uh, it's just awful. I mean, the, the, the things he reported back. Uh, I'm planning to go myself in the next uh, month, uh, time willing. But uh, I was just there in June this past year. And I love Israel. I mean, Israel is a, really a, a light onto all nations. And, and Christians understand this. Uh, a lot of Jews understand this. Israelis certainly understand this. And, uh, you know, thank God for the existence of Israel. Thank God. Um, it is... Uh, the land, yes, of the Bible, but uh, the land of that that, that God uh, obviously is uh, looking over and and, and making sure that uh, His people uh, do the right thing. And so long as we keep His covenant, He'll keep uh, His. You know, God will keep God's covenant with us. I, I believe that fiercely. I think that history has shown that time and time again. Uh, we will come out of this uh, Hamas situation uh, stronger than ever. I do think we need to flatten Gaza um, when it comes to the relocation of citizens. 
uh, you know, that's a problem of their own making. Um, uh, you made the excellent point before this uh, podcast that the Arabs have relocated the Jews, have basically forced them out. There's, there's virtually no Jews in Ar- any Arab country now. Uh, not, not, you know, maybe you can count them on your hand. Uh, and they're all in hiding. It's not as if they, they are part of civilization in, in, in those countries. They're not part of the government or anything. Um, there's the Jew, get him, you know. I mean, they would love to, to kill any Jew that's, that, that they see. Yeah. But, um, but that now they're complaining that, hey, you know, we want you out of our way because we don't want to kill you. We just, we don't want you, you know, two miles away from our southernmost city, Ashkelon, right. with this bizarre obsession this this uh, singular goal of destruction of the country that they they do so in at the expense of their own success, their own progress. They couldn't care less about building hospitals or schools or core systems or infrastructure of any kind. They they literally use their own water pipes. So and and they refashion them, uh, repurpose them to make them uh, missile launchers. I mean, that's the kind of culture we're dealing with. And why should Israel have to deal with this? I mean, it's one thing if they, they just did that on their own, but they're, they're actively seeking the destruction. And then they take action like they did in October 7. And Israel, and, and they, they say they want to do it over and over again. Right. Why, why should Israel have to live under that condition? Yeah. So, look, you, you've demonstrated what, you, what you've done. Uh, we, we seem to understand that you, you can't have a prison right next to an elementary school. Right. Right. But some, so, and if, if an elementary school were located there, they would say, okay, prison, we're going to move you. That's it. But why, why should, why should Israel suffer this? Okay. So I'm not saying kill, you know, any Gazans for that matter, but I, I am saying that perhaps, you know, maybe it's time, uh, that, that Egypt takes in its brothers <laughs> and Jordan takes its brothers uh, and any other Arab nation takes its brothers. Um, but but we shouldn't have to deal with this, right? Um, I, no, some, sometimes you forfeit your rights, right? If I if I launched my missiles from my house, okay, and I let's say I have a house right here in the middle of West LA, and I just started you know firing rockets and everything, and then and then they say they come into my house and they arrest me, right. and we're going to put you in prison, sir. Uh, well, you, how dare you relocate me? You know, like. What about my family? Well, your families have got to go too. You know, they didn't do anything. Well, first of all, in the, in the case of Gonsons, they, they actually fully support it, but that's another story. But well, yeah, maybe you ought to think that because now you can't pay the mortgage of your house because you're in prison. Right. I mean, it, it, it's that absurd. You should let us use Gaza as a launching pad in the future. And we've told you we are going to use it in the right. future. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. You're gone. You're out. I think this is this is one of the big conundrums of Israel because in in Israel, uh, you know that they're they're morally bound to not dislocate people from their from their homes. On the other hand, it's not their home. It's it's uh, it's a it's a place that they want to claim to be home, but they didn't they didn't exist there naturally. They're a nomadic people for one thing, and uh, what what they now call the West Bank uh, is. Is a place where were Israel to pull out from that, it would be horrific. Uh, we we know that from the Six Day War, and, and from the Independence War, for that matter. So it's not a good situation. Anyway, uh, I think we've 
talked a lot about this, but I, I think I really want you all to think about this concept of first in wins. Uh, it's not just, of course, in the Arab-Israeli context, but also in the context of so many other things in life. The way we view government, the way we view God, the way we view uh, religion, generally speaking, the way we view our teachers, and uh, the concept of history, the concept of purpose. Uh, these are all first in win situations. And, and if you are a parent and if you have young children, remember this. Okay, this is your opportunity to indoctrinate them with, with some really good stuff. Okay, the, if you want them to, to stay on your team, as it were, you've got to teach them really far ahead of time. And I, I like, to, like to think that with my kids, they're still young. I mean, I didn't think it happened. I, I understand that. And I'm taking a risk by saying this. But I, I got a good feeling my kids are going to stay rock-solid conservatives and, and great lovers of Israel and, and America. If anything, uh, they're, they're showing me stuff all the time now. <laughs> Uh, pro-conservative stuff, pro-Israel stuff, pro-America stuff all the time. Uh, so I, I think I've done my job. <laughs> anyway, God bless to everyone. And we will talk to you next week. Stop.